Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we are going to have an interesting guest on today because she has a thought that I really was impressed with and liked because right now I'm having some grieving, some losses of my husband. And she talks about grief as an invitation to grow, mm-hmm. which I love. I love that. Yeah. And so we are going to be talking about that idea, grief and invitation to grow. And she's going to have some wonderful ideas for you and some wonderful thoughts on what you can do to find meaning and hope after loss. So Heidi, would you like to introduce her? Sure, Mom, and I agree with you. I love the idea of being able to grow after grief because we don't see any of the upsides initially. So we're gonna to talk today with Claire Willis. Claire is a clinical social worker who has worked in the field of oncology and bereavement for over 20 years. She has a private practice and she is a lay Buddhist chaplain. She is co-founder of the Boston nonprofit Facing Cancer Together And she is the author of two books, Lasting Words, A Guide to Finding Meaning Toward the Close of Life, and Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way from Loss to Peace. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on uh, today. And as I said, I was really impressed with your idea that grief is an invitation to grow. Can you give us a little um, light and thought on what your take is on grief? Yes, I think that, well, let me start by saying that um, I read some words by Jamie Anderson recently that really moved me. And I, I wish I'd put them in the book because I didn't come across them till afterwards. But basically he says, grief is love where, with no place to go. Mm-hmm. And I love that because our culture, in our culture, I think grief sort of swirls around with shame and guilt. There's a lot of models about how we should grieve that have, I think, shaped and distorted our experience of grief. And so reframing it as, um, as an expression of loving gives it a fullness and a legitimacy and a way to open our hearts both to our own suffering and in opening our hearts to our own suffering, we open our hearts to the suffering of others. So that essentially grief can be a very communal joining kind of um, activity. Uh, a lot of the endorsers of our book called the book a companion for grief. And I like that because I like to think of the book as leaving people feeling less alone and that other people have traveled this road. So, so Claire, when you say opening yourself to your suffering, your own suffering, is that being vulnerable and admitting with other people that you're suffering? Being with what is going on in whatever space okay. it presents. And we okay. think of grief as sorrow and despair and um, mm-hmm. sadness, but grief can be irritability, anger, impatience, yeah. rage. It has as many loneliness, anxiety is a big expression of grief. It has as mm-hmm. many expressions as there are mm-hmm. people who grieve. And it's not yeah. just sorrow, which yeah. most people think of. It can be gratitude, it can be relief, it can be regret. It's, it's got, it's, I think of it as an umbrella 
for many mm-hmm. feelings. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like that. How does one stay with it, as you say? I think that's part of what the book is about. And I, I really appreciate your asking me that question because mm-hmm. each chapter in the book is an invitation, a resource for um, helping people be with and stay with their grief. So one of the one of the really big practices for staying with grief that have been researched as ways to increase our, res- our resilience and suffering to hold grief is having a gratitude practice, which often feels counterintuitive when you're grieving. You think, oh, what do I have to be grat- grateful for? I don't have it. I just lost this, I lost that. But mm-hmm. in fact, there's always something that's happening that co-occurs with things that are difficult. And what happens is the mind, our brains are hardwired to notice uh, negativity, to notice what's wrong. And that's not a bad thing. It just happens to be the way we actually learn to survive as a species. In ancient times, if you didn't see what was coming at you, mm-hmm. you would. But unfortunately, we're still hardwired that way. So yeah. when we talk about a gratitude practice, I'm not talking about ever not noticing what's wrong. It's very important to give heart to what's wrong. But how do we notice what's right alongside what's wrong to help build resilience in, in to hold what's wrong? And that's the value of a gratitude practice. It strengthens us to be with our suffering with more ease and strength. So a, a gratitude practice, and what about the flip side? What if I'm feeling anxiety and anxious, or I have some of those feelings of anger or fear or you know fear of the future what do i do with those do i go out and suddenly say okay i can't do that i've got to do the gratitude oh no uh you invite them in you allow them to be there and there are different ways of doing that you can do that with a meditation practice you can do it with your breath what happens for most of us is that when we get anxious or upset or angry our breath changes Mm-hmm. For most of the time, we stop breathing. And what it does is it cuts off our feelings so that we don't feel the full impact of what we're experiencing. And if you notice, like wh- one of the things that I have on my computer desktop, when I sit down and I look at the computer screen, my eyes contract and my breath stops. Anytime you're anxious or upset, you will change your breath. And one of the ways to be with what's happening is to invite the belly, the breath to soften as you breathe in. Because when we get anxious, everything tightens and then we don't feel, we can't be with what is. So a mindfulness practice and a meditation practice with some emphasis on the breath can be very, very helpful in helping us allow difficult feelings to sit inside us. It's, it's yeah. interesting because Heidi and I were talking this morning. My husband passed away a few months ago, Heidi's dad. And we were talking about how people, they don't want you to be with it. That's right. Rather than right. saying be with your feelings, they give you some advice. Have you tried, you know, taking a hike or, you know. <laughs> and they also say this, and I think this is helpful further down the road. They say, if I say I really miss my dad, they go, well, he's still with you. He's all around you. And I know that, but I miss his physical presence. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. That's right. When, when grief is new and raw, let me just say, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that you're living in such close proximity to that loss. So 
it's natural when people first lose someone they love to yearn for the physical proximity. So one of the things that I talk about when I give a reading is that I talk about how in my bereavement groups, people will say, I can only say this here, but I'm sleeping with my husband's shirts because I love his scent. Mm. Or as my sister said to me recently, I, when she lost her 14 year old dog companion, who was mm-hmm. like a child to her, yeah. she said, I'm sleeping with his favorite toy. And she uh-huh. said, Claire, you're the only person I would tell that to. Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of stories that need to get out because the privacy of pain is more painful than the loss itself sometimes because it isolates us and leaves mm-hmm. us lonely. And the truth is when you start to share these stories, you find that other people are doing the same things. And that's yeah. what's so sad. And it's why I, the first chapter is called Starting with Kindness and mm-hmm. Welcoming What Comes, Allowing It to Be There. Because when we can do that for ourselves, it will allow us to be with the suffering of others. If we can't accept these feelings in ourselves, we're going to try and patch up others when they come to us. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what you're experiencing, which I'm yeah. so sorry to hear. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things, my son was killed many years ago, Heidi's brother, and I think one of the things that I found at that time was the idea, if you're too kind to yourself, then people really won't think you care about him, the person who's died. That if you're grieving, the grief is supposed to look a certain way. Right. There's a, there's a wonderful article that I read in the Boston Globe, I don't know, a few years ago by Joan Wickersham, and she talks about going to a cocktail party. And she Mm -hmm. says, she meets this woman there whose husband died five years ago. And every person she meets, she refers to her husband. She's also at the same party with a man who lost his wife and has remarried his wife's best friend within a year. And she says, both of these are expressions of grief Mm -hmm. and how we handle it. And I love that because it's two extremes Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. both part of how we grieve. Well, well, and that's so true, Claire, because part of the reason my mother wanted to get up and run is because she had three surviving children and she was afraid if she didn't take care of herself, she was going to have a health crisis and not be able to be there for us. So it was a form of her grieving too and being concerned. Of course it is. And it was such a healthy thing to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I saw someone running after they'd lost a son, I'd say, hooray, they're getting (laughs) out. Yeah. And I think other people might have been saying that too, but you get this crazy idea in your own head. If we look at Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work, that those models of grief were never intended for people who were grieving. They were intended for people who were dying, but they've been overlaid on people who were grieving. And in my bereavement group, which is all people who lost long-term partners, spouses, people will say, am I grieving right? Or I'm sorry, I'm crying. And I think, you're sorry you're crying, you're in a bereavement group. If you can't cry here, I mean, there's such sad comments because you see how at the effect we are of cultural expectations about what grief should look like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah. we've gone into those, unfortunately. Well, you've got some questions in the book, which I really like. And one of the things that, that really came up for me is what are your beliefs about grief? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's really good to stop and take a look at what do I believe about grief? Can you comment on that a little bit? Uh, Yeah, I think um, people 
our age, and I'm thinking that some of us are roughly the same age, um, that uh, as children, grief was a no-no word. Children weren't allowed to go to funerals. You didn't talk about death. You know, I think it's one of the, I hate to say good things, one of the things that's come out of this COVID pandemic, which has been a pandemic of fear too, is the fact that it's opened up the conversation of grief and made it more legitimate. And we Mm -hmm. can talk about it. And I think the necessity to have it in the light has become apparent in a way that when we were younger, grief was underground. And if you push grief underground, it's gonna come out sideways. Mm-hmm. interesting that grief was underground because in a lot of ways in earlier years it's been more prevalent and maybe uh that was part of turn of the century what uh 50 of kids under eight died so you know maybe they turned it away because they couldn't you know because it was too close, too close. It was too and, yeah and it was such a part of their life they had to just soldier on right right Well, I think there was a lot of, you know, one of the things that I say, I work a lot with people with cancer. And one of the things that I say when someone's grieving is that you have to really choose sometimes between coping and dealing. So when someone we love dies, we have to close their estate. We have to plan a funeral. I mean, there's tasks that have to be, and you soldier on. But when that's over, you start Mm -hmm. to deal with the magnitude of what's happened in a way that you can't when you're planning a funeral and trying to hold your family together. And I mean, you you all know more about this than I do. Yeah. You know? Well, so, it's another thing I like that you uh, ask people to ask themselves, which beliefs, if you look at your beliefs on grief, then which ones of those serve you? Which is really lo- a lovely idea that some of your beliefs you can, you know, say, okay, they're outdated, but which ones serve me? That's right. That's right. And which ones don't? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I think if we can get conscious about what we've been taught and separate it from what we believe currently, that can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so often we just are habitually reacting to the what things we were taught without stopping to think about, is it really true for me? And is it true for me today? So I love those two questions. If you're watching or listening to the show today, I, I think it would be, benefit you if you've had a loss to write down what your beliefs are from your childhood, talk to your mm-hmm. friends and family, yeah. about, and also take a look at which ones serve you and which ones serve the family. I think that's a, a really great idea. And serve the culture. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that. We have part of the thing, but the culture is when you lose someone that's close to you, how many days off do you get if you're working in a business world? Three. Yeah. Because yeah, the yeah. machine has to go on. The economics right. become more important than the mm-hmm. toll on the heart. Mm-hmm. I like that. And, and letting go of some of those beliefs that don't serve you. Well, you happen to be a lay Buddhist chaplain, and I wanted to just hit on suffering. Suffering is such a huge, a huge thing. And, and, how well, we- and sometimes we think that we shouldn't suffer when it, that's not necessarily true. Well, it is such an interesting question. Um, In Buddhism, I just want to say, in Buddhist practice, suffering is about our inability to be with what is. It's Mm. not about the loss itself. So there's a very famous Buddhist myth where, um, let's say you lose someone that you love. 
that's what they call the first arrow. The first arrow goes in and you feel the grief of the loss. Mm -hmm. But then what happens is we often shoot ourselves with the second arrow that is, what's the matter with me? Why am I so upset? It's the judgments we have about the first arrow. So if the first, if we could allow ourselves to be with the loss in the fullness of however it impacts us, without the impact of the second arrow, judging, criticizing, shaming, our grief is far more tolerable and it can come into the light than if we're shooting ourselves with the second arrow. And, and usually shame goes into secrecy and isolation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. yeah. So suffering in, in the simplest way is the inability to be with what is. Mm -hmm. okay. I like that. I like that definition. I like that way of looking at it. Well, it, it makes it more acceptable to grieve. Yeah. To grieve in whatever way you need to grieve. Mm -hmm. oh, love it. Well, I know you've got so many more wonderful things in your book for people. And, and I would like you to give a uh, piece of advice maybe, or what's your best thought to somebody who has had a recent loss? Um, give your sorrow, give your grief full expression. And I think I would just go back to Jamie Anderson's words, which I started with. Grief I have learned is really just love. It's all the love you wanna give, but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest, grief is just love with no place to go. Mm -hmm. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I would say because if, you, if we can think of grief as love, it, it lifts the shame, it lifts the blame, it lifts everything and just becomes something very sacred. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to get rid of it. You know, when someone, the other thing I would say to someone who's just lost somebody is this, is that when you first lose somebody you love, your whole house becomes gray. The ceiling, the floor, the walls, the furniture, everything is gray. And that over time, there are resources that fill in between that loss and yourself. But always there'll be a gray chair in the living room that you visit on rainy days. And I, I read a, an, a lovely analogy to grief being like a broken bone. At first, the pain is searing. You have it set. You may have surgery. Then you have PT, but it will always ache on a rainy day. <laughs> and I think I like that because we shouldn't get over our grief. But I can tell you this, that over time, grief changes in intensity, frequency, and duration. And it moves from a searing pain to a dull ache that we carry with us, but which tenderizes our heart and helps us be with the suffering of others more fully. Wow, let us finish on that. That was absolutely beautiful, thank you. But tell us how people can get your book and do you have a website? I live in Brookline, Massachusetts, right next to Boston. And I do bereavement groups for people who have lost people to cancer through Facing Cancer Together. That's an, a local nonprofit that I'm a, I've co-founded and I have a small private practice in Brookline with end of life and bereavement and people living with cancer. My website is openingtogrief.com. Thank you so much for being on our show today. It's been Thank delightful. you so much for having me. Thank well, you, Claire. Thank you for giving us permission to validate and acknowledge our own grief. Good. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that, that you felt that. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, I friend. felt hurt.
And thanks everybody for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.